0: Come on, Journey Church, let's give Jesus a hand clap in this place. Amen. Amen. Hey, I am so excited to be with y'all today. And it's been a great weekend. We had Saturday off, Sunday off. Tomorrow we get to go back to work and we get to go be the church. Amen. Awesome, awesome. Well, listen, I have the awesome privilege and honor uh, to be able to speak to you all today. And actually, before I begin, I'd love to welcome everybody online. Awesome to have you with us. And as everyone knows, hey, that's not Pastor Jay. No, I'm not. He, uh, he and his wife, they actually, uh, they backslid today. Uh, and, uh... <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're probably watching right now. Uh, <laughs> I told you. Okay. Anyway, so um, no, they're uh, they've backslid in France, right? So they're doing, they're having a terrible time in Paris. And uh, they went to England and France. They've been uh, planning this, I believe, since the day they got married. They've always wanted to do it. And so uh, we're so happy for them. We love them. If they all are watching, hey, we love you guys so much. Come on, let's give a hand clap to our pastor, Pastor Jay and Stacy. They do so much for the church, and we're grateful, and we're we're happy to 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 send them on their way and just uh, they'll be back here pretty soon be speaking uh, next week again but anyway I have the awesome opportunity again to just be able to just talk to you all a little bit today and uh, the topic we have is, is is kind of a serious deal we're talking about uh, marriage today and then we're in this new series called uh, is it worth fighting for I mean it's really a question and uh, you know maybe it's kind of for you it could you know kind of take on the idea of okay this is worth fighting for it's not worth fighting for. Today I want to talk about marriage, and I think it is worth fighting for, and there's a lot of different things that we actually fight over, Now, I don't know whether or not uh, it's worth fighting for, like that Facebook argument you got in last night, right? I don't know if it was worth fighting over, whatever that topic was. Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you, it wasn't, Um, and so, y'all can laugh a little bit, okay? So, uh, but really, I want to talk about particular things that are actually worth fighting and wrestling over. And my position today and my topic and my assignment here today is to talk about marriage. And without a doubt, marriage is something that is worth fighting for. It's something that's worth fighting and, and, and having different, uh, our concepts and our, uh, our ideology changed and molded into the pattern that God has for us. And so, the reason, again, I say marriage is worth fighting for is because marriage is a particular union established by God himself between one man and one woman for the rest of their life. And, and it is to display the glory of God in our lives to those all around us. And for that reason, marriage is worth fighting for another reason that marriage is worth fighting for is because in the context of marriage it 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 displays or it shows our sin and it allows us to be sanctified and that is a reason that marriage is worth fighting for. Again, a reason marriage is worth fighting for is because, again, in the context of marriage, God gave us a great calling to be able to raise up children in the fear of the Lord to honor God. And so, for that reason, once again, marriage is worth fighting for. Now, I have heard a lot of uh, stories about perfect marriages. No, it's not true. I haven't heard really any stories. I think you've heard like, there's like 10 people listening. I'm so happy that y'all laughed at that joke. I got a few more for you. Okay, so... Stop it. We're serious. Um, So so you don't hear a lot of stories about the perfect marriage. You you really just don't. It's because you're a sinner and your spouse is a sinner and you come together and your marriage has sin in it. It's just like church. It's like there's no perfect church because you're there. You know what I'm saying? It's like (laughs) once you... (laughs) You, me and you, we're gonna have good fun today. All right, but no, seriously, it's like we're all sinners and we come into church and it's a, and it's an institution given by God, established by God. Amen. But it's like there's problems involved because there are people involved. Come on, Miss Debbie. And it's like we are here because we want to allow the sanctifying grace of God to purge that sin out until we all come, as Ephesians says, to the perfect unity of the man and woman of God. Amen? Amen. I will clap to that. But listen, I want to say today that marriage is worth fighting for. It's worth fighting not against your spouse, but for your spouse. Amen. Today, as we get started, you know, I, maybe there are some of you who, you know, when we talk about marriage, you, you tense up a bit. Maybe, maybe you, you're in a place where it's like, man, maybe you've been divorced. And maybe you're in a place where maybe you're going through a divorce. And maybe some of you even, you're, you're single and you're just not sure if you want to be married. But, you know, maybe by the time this is all said and done, like, you don't want to be married, but I want to encourage you. <laughs> marriage is a great thing. I'm just saying But for those of you, wherever you are in your life, I just want to say that there are things here that are going to be applicable to you. And I don't want you to think like, man, you know, I had a failed marriage and... You know, what does this have to, it's my fault, I'm seeing all these different things. I don't want you to think like that. I want you just really to take grace and be able to apply it to your own heart and believe that, hey, for those who are in Christ, God is for you, and the Lord is going to make a path, this journey is going to make it straight for you, and is going to work things out. But for those of you who are married, my primary target audience, and I want to talk about how to literally fight for your marriage and let's just take a quick moment let's turn our attention to the lord and i just want to allow the lord to come and and, and to speak and to heal And, and as blake said earlier to revive to revive hearts in this place that you would be connected once again to one another, that the, that the strings of your heart would be fashioned and weaved together, but then even more importantly, that you would be bound to the person of Jesus Christ, because I'm not so much interested in theoretical knowledge of God as, a, as bringing to you the actual substance and the person and the fragrance of Christ in your life. So let's pray. Father, I thank you right now, Lord, that you are here, Uh, We stand on your word. We stand on your promises that you said as two or three who are come together in your name, Lord, that you would be in our midst. Father, you know how I have trembled through this message and through this content. I've seen my own inadequacies and my own failures as both a husband and a father. But nevertheless, Lord, I'm here standing before these people. I pray right now, Lord, that you would heal marriages, that you would heal hearts, Lord, that you would just fashion for yourself a people, Lord, that could humble themselves and lovingly approach each other with grace. Lord, we cannot do it on our own. We will absolutely fail. So, Lord, we invite you now to come and strengthen broken homes. Lord, strengthen them. I pray, Lord, add to strong homes, Lord, till again we come to that perfect unity of the faith. I thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. Lord, it's in your wonderful name we pray, amen, amen. I don't know about you, but I'll just say, like, I know that prayer maybe sounded in your ears heavy, and, you know, we're going to have all kinds of ups and downs through this message. And uh, I'm just going to invite you just to laugh and cry if you need. And and we're just going to approach this thing. I want to do it gently, but I also want to do it in, in some sense head on. And so maybe for some of you, as I see, you, you, you're going to be married very soon and hopes to be married. And I pray that your marriage will start off in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. And what would it look like if our marriages? And our lives would be lived to the glory of God. I think it would be great. But as you know, marriage is sick in America. As you know, for the last hundred years, the rate of divorce, first-time marriages are great. As you know, in 2019, these numbers came out about the... uh, about the top reasons for divorce. And it's no surprise to you, because you already know. You've heard about it. When you, hear about ser- when you hear sermons on marriage, it's inevitably brought up again and again to be thought about. And, but in the top five reasons for divorce is 36% of people cite financial problems as being a part of the reason for divorce. 45% of the people cite they were married too young, they changed, their desires changed, their interest, what they like changed, and the spouse is not somehow changing with them. They cite they were married too young, it's not a reason for divorce. 57% people, they say they are arguing, and there's too much conflict in their home, they can't get along, they can't, they're not friends, they're like sandpaper, oil and water, they don't gel together like they used to. Second reason, 59% of people who cite for divorce is infidelity. The number one reason at the moment in 2019 was 75% said one of the reasons for divorce is a lack of commitment. They're not committed to me. They're not committed to the things that I love. They don't, they don't love the things that I love and hate the things that I hate. We're just so different. It's like the path of that we have wandered is now it's two separate things and we are no longer can be committed to one another. We already know that 42% of first-time marriages end in divorce. We already know that 60% of second marriages end divorce. And we already know that 70% of third marriages end in divorce. We already know that the average length of the first-time marriage is only eight years. And we already know that an individual contemplates divorce for two years before actually following through with it. And we already know that it's the wife who files first in most cases we already know the issues at hand and I wonder if we know why I mean we know like these outward reasons we're not getting along maybe money's tight this and that and there's different reasons and maybe a lot of you who have been through divorce and I and believe me I I I hate that you have gone through that and maybe you have okay well you don't know what he did to me you don't know what she did to me but for the exception I mean that's an exception But for a lot of us, it's like, okay, well, what is the reason for the divorce? Not the exception, not the the crazy thing that happened. And it's like, oh, all these different things. But really, at the root of it, it's sin. The root of it is sin. You know, there's a great philosopher in Louisiana, and his name's Boudreaux. (laughs) They laughed at that. Um, And uh, they were at Oak Point, and he ran into Thibodeau. And uh, they, said, they said, Thibodeau said to Boudreau, Boudreau, you're looking down. What's going on? And he said, oh, Thibodeau, said, I think my wife's going deaf. I mean, it's, it's hard. I don't think she's losing her hearing. And Thibodeau says, I got something for you. Try this. When you go home, oh, Boudreau, you go home, and when you see your wife, make sure she's not looking at you, and you ask a question. And you see how close you can get to, to your wife uh, until she's able to respond to you. He said, that's a great idea, Thibodeau. I'm gonna go home and do that now. said, so he left Oak Point, got a couple of goodies, and goes home and he sees his wife. She's chopping some carrots right there on their, you know, there at their house in Wisteria Lakes, you know. <laughs> that's where I live. I mean, anyway, so <laughs> so <laughs> I'm serious, listen. <laughs> That's a funny laugh, I'm just saying. All right, um, so she's cutting carrots right there, and all of a sudden, he says, baby, what are we having for dinner tonight? Nothing, So he says, all right, let me get a little closer, about 10 feet closer. Babe, uh, uh, what are we having for dinner tonight? Nothing, gets a little closer right there. Babe, what are we having for dinner tonight? And she turns a little salty and says, for the third time, I said beef stew that's good you like that huh that's that's good that's good you know the you know you know the issue the, you know the issue in marriage it's not outside of us it's inside of us it's not them it's us that's right. it's not it's, it's not pointing the finger and I know some of y'all started off elbowing your husbands you better take some notes today because this guy the, the root of the issue is and its final analysis the failure to radically apprehend God as he is. It's the failure to be molded and changed and conformed into the image of his son Jesus. Amen. The issue, again, I, and I know, uh, our minds go to some of the worst things that could pass, possibly happen in marriage, and I, I, I almost want to shelf those. For, but I want to say in, in the common marriage The issue lies within our own hearts. I can tell you from my own life experience, with my own wife, many of the failures, and I'm not being humble, many of the the failures started with me. And she may in turn say many of the failures started with her. We're able to analyze and look at ourselves and wrestle through some of these concepts and say, hey, we want to go forward and change and be changed and allow God to heal wherever you're at, whatever is going on, to heal those for instances. Everyone has something because again, we're all sinners. But I wanna talk today about how to fight for your marriage. I wanna talk today about not fighting against one another but for one another and again, that first begins, the fight begins in you. Let's just read a couple of verses real, real, real fast. In and, and, and Luke chapter nine, verse 23, I hope you have your Bibles. In Luke nine, verse 23, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and daily follow me. This is, this is the, essential thing in the Christian life, that we would die to self, we would die upon this cross, this imagery of cross-bearing, of climbing upon the cross willingly and give our life to the Lord. Paul, again in Galatians, echoes his Lord's teachings. In Galatians chapter five, verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus I don't know why I turned my head because the mic's still there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Galatians 5 verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, so there is this standard, there is this idea, this, this ideology that the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord over your lives, right? He is the Lord of the earth. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Again, Lord is his title. That means he is absolutely sovereign. That means he is in absolute control. And I'm not using, um, I'm not embellishing the words there. I'm saying absolute he is final, and he has control over all things. So this is the one whose framework that is demanding his people to have. He's saying, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me daily. Galatians, Paul echoes it, and he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Again, Paul in Romans 8, Verse 28, we hear, this ser- we hear this, we've heard sermons on this. It's a great and powerful uh, 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 verse where Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, for those who love God, there is a, a kind of a preface there. Paul's speaking to those who love the Lord. If you're in this room and you need things to start working out for your good, I pray that you would turn your hope and love and devotion to Jesus so that those things can work out for your good and his glory. But he says, for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are the called according to his purpose, okay, verse 29, it says, for those whom he foreknew, <clears throat> foreknew he also predestined to be conformed. So the image of his son, okay? So he's saying that there's this idea of predestination. There's this thing of before you were ever born. It's predetermined. And what is predetermined? In Christ, it's what it's talking about. For those who are in Christ, you are predetermined to look like his son, Jesus Christ, in your marriages, in your friendships, in every relationship you have, you are to look like his son. You are to bear the image. In Colossians, Jesus says, I, it, says that, it says of Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God. And we as his people are to be his image bearers in the earth. So I said, tomorrow morning, you're going to go out and you're going to be the church, which is his bride, which is his body. Amen. Okay. Again, some people may think they need a new marriage. I think you need a new you. I think... (laughs) I just wasn't expecting that. I'm sorry. Okay. I mean, yeah, amen. I believe it's true. I believe that I need to change. Like if you saw me, you would not be all impressed with me. If you saw, you're like, oh, he gets up every now and then, and he talks a lot, and he makes these stupid jokes, but listen, you would not be impressed with me if you knew me. You would say, he needs Jesus, and he needs to change, and I would say amen, <laughs> right? I really think, honestly, and I'm not being cute here, I think we all need to be molded, and we need to all die I want to talk today about what the marriage does and what death looks like in the marriage through serving. Okay, so the first thing, I just have three things that I want you to consider. I would love for you to actually take some of this and write it on your bathroom windows, these points. Write them down, put them in your Bible, put them on your phone, but listen, consider, and then do what is being asked. But the first thing is to honor first. Honor first. In, in, in Romans 12, verse 10, it says, Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. There's a lot of things like we're a competitive culture. There are a lot of things that you want to outdo someone else in. I mean, it's like you're playing basketball, you're trying to get that, you're trying to break the record. If you're, whatever you're doing, you want to outdo the person around you. I mean, it's like, it's kind of innate. Like, we want to be the best. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to outdo somebody in your businesses and jobs and be the best and hey, glorify Jesus through your efforts. But what Paul is saying, and for this, Purpose, he's saying, Hey, listen, outdo one another in showing honor. When our natural inclination is to rise and be esteemed by everyone around us, Paul is saying, Allow them to rise, and by your honor, you raise them up. And we are to honor our spouse. Outdo your spouse. Be competitive with her and with him in showing honor toward one another. To have this attitude is a blow against personal pride. It takes God himself quickening the life of God within our own souls to be able to live this kind of life. Honor your wives, honor your husbands, and listen, don't tell me that you want to honor your wife or honor your husband in the way that you think they need to be honored. Like, that would be dumb, okay? So it's like, listen, wife, if, 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 if you're cleaning his clothes, cooking his food, you know, you're cleaning the house, but, you know, you're a little salty and you're like a southern woman. Listen, I got a wife, three girls, I got two sisters and one mama, and I know a lot of females from south Louisiana. You could get salty, right? So. <laughs> So, like, you're doing all these things, but you're not honoring him with a gentle word. It's like, man, maybe for him, that's what he wants. And maybe you're so sweet and lovey-dovey, but you don't clean his clothes. Like, I don't know. Like, you got to figure out what he wants and how he would receive honor and then out just, hey, honor him in that way. Figure it out. I mean, in the same thing, like, husbands, like, you have to figure out what your wife once and literally like fixing things, changing light bulbs and getting things that my wife's short. So getting things from the high, what's that called cabinet? Like what's that thing way up there? That big word. Oh, cabinet. You know, those are like, okay, that's all nice. And that's showing honor and respect. It really is. But it's like, what are the ways that your spouse as an individual desires to receive honor and esteem from you? And I don't know, I mean, I I can't tell you what those things would look like for your spouse, but let me just give you a couple that I think would, that everyone would receive and feel honor from. The first of all is, cover their faults. Cover their faults. Let me tell you, Facebook, what my husband did today! Exclamation point. One A. No, so it's like, If y'all don't stop laughing, this is going to be too long. This message is going to be too long. (laughs) Cover their faults. Cover their faults and focus on their strengths. Because your spouse has a lot of strengths. They are not perfect because they're not Jesus. They have a lot of things that need to change. They have a lot of things in them that need to die. They have a lot of selfishness and greed and selfish ambitions. And it needs to be crucified by prayer and through the worship and life groups. Hey, it needs to be crucified. But they have things that they are They are great at focus on those things and talk about those things. The next thing is let God enforce. Like he's not using your nagging to do that. Like whatever it is, like you're like trying to get things done around the house, don't nag. But, But thank them for the things that they actually do. Well, yeah, I see you clean the entire house, but I can't find any clean socks. It's like, okay, well, I can't do everything. This is kind of the talk between me and my wife. Anyway, so uh, (laughs) encourage them and don't encourage them through nagging, right? So encourage them and what they're, and this takes patience, but encourage. Love on them in that way. Encourage them. The next thing is listen, if you're super ambitious in here, this is going to be interesting for you, but uh, prioritize them, your spouse above everything else. And I mean absolutely above everything else. Now, this is what I, there was a, a survey that was done uh, probably six, seven, eight years ago. And uh, it was a survey that was done on the satisfaction of marriage. Very interesting. And what they uncovered was that typically the longer people were um, married, the less satisfaction they had in marriage. So the highest point of satisfaction in marriage was the honeymoon stage, anywhere from six months to two years, and then at some point, it's like, you know, your your careers are not established, there's maybe no kids, it's like all the attention, fun, you still maybe younger, and there's just, hey, everything's new, and it's exhilarating, and it's exciting, and life is great, you know, and then kids come along, and what happens, and after a few years, you know, maybe... The establishment of your job and your career is becoming a little bit more fixed, and you have a direction uh, in which you're going to run in. And typically, that's the man, and then the wife has kids. And so, where do their focuses go? The, 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 the man typically focuses his energy and efforts upon a career, and the wife, her kids. She, they, 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 the, so the focus is being drawn away from each other, looking eye to eye, and it's looking into different directions. It's not saying don't do it. It's just preeminently focus upon them. And then you see, as the kids get older, uh, you see another dip in satisfaction. And the, the, kid, the wife even more. The kids are requiring even more. They need more money, more attention. They have more activities and school things, projects, homework. And, and the husband is even more fixed in his job. There's even more going on. Now he's becoming one of the bosses. And, and it's, he's so focused. Focused on it. And then when the kids leave the home, typically you see the satisfaction uh, rise up just a little bit, but never to the place where it once was because they've lost the ability to connect and communicate on that level. So what I would suggest, and this is one way of honoring your spouses, is be able to look at them in the eyes. Be able to have a, I mean with kids it's a little different, but listen, don't take work home. I know you have to at some points, but, like, don't make it a habit. You hear what I'm saying? Be able to come home and love on your, your, your wife, your kids, wives. Take your attention. Hey, be able to turn it a little bit to your husband. I know. Like, I got four little kids running around. It's like, man, I got to duct tape them to just <laughs> tell my wife hi, you know. <laughs> so fight through it is my point. The second thing is prioritize their interest. Prioritize their interest first, Interest their interest first in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. You check this out. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. I pray to God you all take humility home, and it can be the functioning of your life. You will operate and relate to your spouse in a humble way. You would confess sins to them, and in humility, they would receive that confession and offer forgiveness, which is the biblical response. Because believe me, I don't, I, 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 I'm, I, it doesn't matter what your spouse has done, your faults and your sins against a perfect and holy God are way greater. And his ability to forgive you creates in the individual the potential for forgiveness for those infractions, that doesn't mean it's all, it's all easy, like it's real life and there's real things. But to offer forgiveness is a godly attribute, but to prioritize, so I'm saying all that to bring humility into your family, bring humility into your life. So it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This again goes against the natural tendencies or conditions of our human nature, but it is nevertheless the will of God for your life. You know one of the worst things ever? It's like you go somewhere to the store and you see somebody and they're like, hey, how you doing? How's your family? And you say like three things, three things come out of your mouth and then they interrupt you because they have a whole book that they just want to unload on you about how great their life is and how many vacations they've taken this year and just their kids are straight A's and their dogs never bit anybody and all these different things, right? They just got all kind of good things. And you know why you don't like it? Because you want to talk about yourself. That's why all right? And it's the truth. It's like a human nature, like we desire self. And it's like the antithesis of what God is requiring of us. He's saying, elevate them. And what are their interests? And it's not that we should not have interest. There's an interesting word where it says, don't only. That word is a key word. It's not that you can't have interest. You need to have interest or you would not be interesting. And so don't only look at, in, at your own interest, but consider their interest. Elevate their interest above your own. I, when I think of this reference here, interest could be a variety of things. It could be particular hobbies. It could be spiritual things. It could be, you know, maybe church and retreat, journey girls, journey men, different things. And to be able to say, oh, you're passionate about that, well, go do it. It needs to be able to, whatever the interest can be, it means that you need to be able to support them in their endeavor to go after those particular affairs. You need to, they need to be able to do that again. Now, what that looks like practically is... Somebody's gotta lay down their own interest. Somebody's gotta lay down something. So it's like, come on, come on, guys. I know some of y'all like to hunt and fish. He's gonna step on my toes. <laughs> well, you better pull him in. All right, cuz I'm coming. No. Uh, it means it might mean you might not be able to go hunting or fishing every weekend. Maybe it means you have to come home and watch the kids so she can just go to Starbucks with one of her girlfriends. Maybe that's all that means. Well, you don't know my wife, she loves me. She loves me hunting, it's so fun. Where else are we gonna get the meat from? I'm not going to Oak Point to get meat like a city slicker. I'm gonna, okay, okay. I mean, really, honestly. It's like somebody has to lay down something. Someone has to lay down something in order to support. And that's gonna mean, hey wives, during hunting season, you're like, no. You've worked so hard, I want you to go. I want you to go hunting. I, you love it, it's a, it's a burning passion in your life. Hey, go do it. And then when it comes to time, you come home, and it's like, hey. I'm gonna be with the kids, I'm gonna do that. It's like this kind of give and take, but it's like supporting the interest of another. Like, what are you interested in? I wanna support and love on you through that. The next thing is love. Love first. Love first. This is a very interesting verse here. In 1 John 4, 19, the apostle has this, I call it, philosophical or theological statement is that he says, we love because he first loved us, okay? So check this out. There is nothing so lovely about us that made God say, oh, I can't live without them, right? There's nothing so lovely about us that, that was really like, we weren't wealthy enough. We weren't beautiful enough. We weren't charming enough that where God says, oh, he must come into my courts. He is so charming, right? Is none of that. Our love is a response to God's action in dying upon the cross. It says in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think... Love can win in your home. If you're fighting all the time, if there's tension, I think love can win when you love first. Again, in the Bible there's different Greek word, in the New Testament there's different Greek words for love. Agape is, as you know, it's the God kind, unconditional love. There's something else interesting about that word. It's actually a covenantal love, okay? So I can say, hey, I love you with a different sense than I say I love my wife. I love my wife in a context of a covenantal love, right? So if you offend me in a sense or you do something wrong to me, it might sever the relationship. With my wife in the context of that covenant, I'm I'm still bound by this covenant, okay? I'm still bound by the covenant. So I'm I'm trying to make a point that while your spouse may be unlovely, you are bound by scripture. You are bound by your covenant to continue to show them love. And I want to submit to you that their response will be love when you love first. Again, we love because he first loved us. And I don't want to be trite, I don't want to be shallow, but I will say it like this. Love has no greater merit than action. So don't just say, hey, love you, high five, slap him on a hiney and walk out, right? <laughs> That's not, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> me. My, my, my point is, is again, through all of these scenarios, their interest, uh, the honoring them and loving them, you have got to know in that covenantal sphere of your own particular world with your own spouse, how to love them. You've got to figure it out. Valentine's Day is a few days away. Go sit with them. I don't care you've been married for 20 years. Humble yourself and say, listen, I should know, but would you help me? Would you help tell me things? I mean, literally approach him. I've been married for 12 years and there's still things I can't figure out because girls are so complicated. Help me, Lord. All right, so... <laughs> and the girls are saying that about guys. Like, hey, he's such an idiot. No, okay. So... Um. Let me illustrate, let me, let, me, let me make a last illustration with this about, about fasting. And one of the things about fasting that's, all, that's often uh, missed, it's often missed is, is this. When you fast, you go on a fast, you start your first day off, and uh, you get hungry, huh, mean You get hungry, and um, you, you're, as the day goes on, you're like, man, I need food. Like your body is craving, calling out for food. I mean, it's a, your body's response. Like, hey, you haven't fed me in three hours. Like, put something in there. And then the second day, you're like, okay. You text your wife, you love her, because you're about to die. Like, hey, tell the kids I love Get my will in order. Like, you feel like this is it. This is the end. I'm going home. And like, in the third day, it's like you really, there are bad things happening. Like, you just feel miserable. But you, you know what's happening is the toxins from what you are eating that are deep down inside of you are beginning to come out. That all the things that probably shouldn't be in there are coming out. And the third day, maybe you, you know, for some of you who just went on the fast we had in the beginning of January, maybe you were fasting and, you know, really were, the it's the affliction of the body. And so... Maybe you also had a bad moment where you were rude to someone. You were mean, you were grouchy, you were sharp because you're tired and the and the comforts of food and other things were not there for you and so you bit back and you because you're a Christian and because you're pursuing God with all your heart, you you humbled yourself and you went, "Look, that wasn't me. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have. Anybody ever done that? I sure have." And th- but the thing is This is the thing that's missed in fasting, is that is the real you. I, I, I think marriage has a interesting way of showing us who we really are. And dear friends, you are absolutely unable to appropriately love your spouse without the absolute power of God flowing through your being. If you don't know the Lord, I'm not saying you can't have a good marriage. Absolutely. There are tons of people who don't know Jesus and they have great marriage. It's called common grace. But there is something missing. It's that, it's that the three-stranded cord that is not easily broken, right? It's that third element where God binds us together. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you right now, Lord, for your people. I thank you for all the marriages in this room. I pray, God, that you would strike the hearts of husbands and wives alike, that you would do something wonderful. Right now, if you're married, I'd ask you to just grab your spouse's hand. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been able to hold hands. But but hey, maybe today is the day for a new marriage. Maybe today's the day when all things can become new. I'm just gonna pray right now, Lord, that, that the Lord would give you grace to humble yourselves, before one another and that God would see to it and he would make it as a priority I believe that because again your marriages are a demonstration of the glory of God in the earth and so father right now I thank you Lord for all the marriages in this room I pray as their hands are knitted together that there there's a contact there in Jesus name I ask, Lord, that you would knit their hearts together. I pray that it, that new work of mercy starts today. I pray, Lord, that as people are in this room the, the getting engaged and there's days for marriage, And Lord, I pray that you would bless, keep, and sanctify your people. And we love you and we praise you that you'll do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, real quick, before y'all leave, one thing. I just want to encourage y'all. Hey, we're having a, uh, a, a date night, a date night uh, in just a couple of weeks, a Friday. And so, not this Friday, next Friday. And so we have about um, 80 spots left. That's 40 couples. If you would like to come, we would love for you to come, $25, and we will see you there. Pastor Jay and Stacy are going to do a great job and uh, just encouraging relationships. And so listen, I want to just tell you, I love y'all. Stand up. (laughs) I love y'all so much. Pastor Jay and Stacy love y'all. And listen, I want y'all to remember, we don't just go to church. Hey, bless y'all. We'll see y'all next week.